Hey, welcome to church this morning. It's so good to be here again. I was away after church last week, went away for a couple of days, and I don't know, we didn't have group this week. Normally, we meet every Thursday as a launch team, and we didn't do that, so I kind of, I was missing you all. So it's nice to be back, and the family's regathered. I wanted to let you know a few things. Number one is, next week, we're starting a series. Um, We're going to go through the book of Ephesians, uh, about 25 messages through Ephesians, so we like to slowly marinate and sit in in the text of Scripture for a long period of time. Um, and we believe that the Bible is God's Word, has no error, it's infallible, it's useful, it's powerful, and so we want God to speak to us every week. Uh, that's why we turn up, it's not for me or the band or anything else, good coffee is there, but we turn up to hear God speak, and so we're going to spend a bunch of time in Ephesians, and to help us do that, I've, Henry actually showed me these, you can get like just the book of Ephesians as a little book, and they're really, there's the pretty one, gold leaf, and it has... Um, it has the text, and then it has blank pages, but then it has little illustrations too. Yeah. If you want one of them, they're $5 up at the bookstore, or you can get like the slightly more masculine, you know, boring version, which it just has that, but it also has little dotted lines. Anyway, they're $5. If you want to put $5 in the offertory box or put it in our bank account, that can get you one of those. Um, so we're starting that in a next week, so that'll be fun. Um, so start reading Ephesians, start getting into that. The other thing I wanted to make mention of, we, we sang a new song today called the Reformation Song. Uh, that's the name of the song because we stand in the tradition of 500 years ago, a German monk called Martin Luther started a revolution almost accidentally. He just started reading the Bible and saying, hey, what the church is teaching is not lining up with what I see in here. And he started to ask questions. And then he was met with a lot of resistance from the church at the time. They didn't want to engage with him because they were stuck in their tradition and their ways. Over time, he kept on arguing and he wouldn't give up. He kept on bringing the Bible to them. And over time, the church split into two, into the Catholic church and the Protestant church. And that's where we sit in today, the Protestant side of things. And the catch cries of the Reformation were these kind of five solas. These five, that means Latin for only. We believe in the Bible alone as our authority. We believe in Christ alone for our salvation, and we access Christ through grace alone, by faith alone, Um, and it's all to the glory of God alone. So that was that song, it kind of, Gloria, Gloria, Glory to God alone, that was the God alone bit, and each verse has one of those solas in it, it's a really cool song, and you'll notice in our church that that's our catch cry every week, it's by grace that we get to come to God and we live for His glory alone. That's what we exist to do. That's our only hope. That's our only message. And so if you come broken, if you come with sin, if you come with shame, if you come with weariness and you're just trying to make it up to God, we're a church that wants to tell you there is grace. You can come to the Lord no matter what you've done or who you've become or what's been done to you because of what Christ has done already in your place on the cross. Uh, And so we want to preach that message, sing that message, proclaim that message. That's our thing as a church. And so as we come to um, our final message today, we've been looking at a series called Christ Crucified. Um, Because the Apostle Paul, when he planted churches and tried to teach churches, this was his one message. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. What Paul is saying there is, we have, I have one message. When I go to churches, I want them to know one main thing. And I want them to know it really well. And I want it to, you know, I want it to affect everything that they do. And it's this. 
that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. He died on the cross for sinners' sin and rose again that we may have new life. That's his main thing. And so we wanted to spend the first four weeks of our church looking at that main thing. Uh, and so today we come to our last one. So we've done, uh, what did we do? We've done, we preach Christ crucified. Then we did, we glorify Christ crucified. Last week we said we follow Christ crucified. And now this week we're going to end with we abide in Christ crucified from John chapter 15. So would you open up your Bibles if you have one there. If you don't, it'll be on the screen. John chapter 15. And this is John, who was one of Jesus' key followers. Um, He spent three years with Jesus. Right from the beginning, Jesus called out to John and said, follow me. John left his fishing nets behind and for three years traveled around with Jesus. And then, later in his life, John wrote down all that he saw, all that um, he heard Jesus do. And this is what we have, John chapter 15. And we come in this section, this is like some of the last words that Jesus said before he was crucified. So he's taken the disciples to the upper room. They've done the Passover feast. Judas has left them. And now it's just the 11 disciples eating the feast, hanging out with Jesus. And Jesus is preparing them because he's about to go and die and be crucified and leave them. So he's giving them last words. What what are they meant to be doing in these final times? What's going to stick with them in his final words? He says this. John chapter 15, verse 1 through 8. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For, apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Almighty God, we pray and ask that you would visit us this morning, and that you would bless the preaching of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. As we come to this famous text, uh, this text is a, a, is a favorite of many people's. I know in this room, it's one of my favorite texts. It's a go-to text because in our life and in the busyness of trying to get life done, we have this constant pressure to move forward, to do the next thing, to 
click off the next you know, thing on our to-do list, scratch it out, next, 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 go, go, go. Uh, you know, we have all plans, we have all dreams, we have all these things we want to do, and yet we always need this power to get it done. But we have this tension, sometimes we just keep going and going and going, and we don't stop to refuel. It's like we're, we go swimming, and we just want to get to the end of the lap of the pool, and we don't take a breath, and we get the end, and then we have a total crash out and burn, and we need like six weeks of holidays. That's kind of how we live our life, is we kind of go, 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 until we can't go anymore. Then we crash and burn, and then we restart the cycle again. And so as Jesus gets with his disciples, and he's about to leave them, he's giving them a massive task. He's going to later tell them in Matthew 28, go into all the world and make disciples of me. It's a pretty big task, okay? So they got the massive great commission on their, on their plate. You need to go everywhere and tell everyone about me. Huge, fruitful task that God has for them to do. But before they go and do that, he tells them this critical lesson. The lesson of abiding in him. The lesson of how we get our power to do what God calls us to do. You see, we said in week one that we preach Christ crucified. That's our message. Why do we do that? Well, to make much of Jesus Christ. That was week two. Week three, what are we meant to do? Well, we're meant to be followers of Jesus Christ. So we do what he calls us to do. We deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. But how do we have the power to do it? Are we meant to just you know, flex and, you know, push through? Are we meant to just drink 25 cups of coffee a day? Are we meant to just go, 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 go? Do we take Red Bull? What do we need to do to get it all done? How do we do it in a way that glorifies God? How do we get through our to-do list and our tasks? Well, Jesus says, abide in me. And so we're going to spend our time this morning just marinating in this passage. And I've got two simple points. Two points just to kind of help us walk it through. Um, point number one is abiding explained. And point number two is abiding applied. Um, the past three weeks have been a bit more on the let me preach and tell you a doctrine from the Bible um, and a little bit less on the application side of things. Uh, but I want to spend a little bit more time this week doing a bit more application and diving into how do we actually put this into practice. But first, let's go point number one, abiding explained. So, let's jump into the text again. Remember, you've got you to picture yourself. It's really hard, you know, but imagine it's the final days. It's the final night. In t- less than 24 hours, Jesus is going to be Christ crucified. He gathers his disciples, they eat the meal, and then they have these long conversations. Like, I'm going, but I'm going to send you my Holy Spirit. And this is how the whole world will know that you love me, if you obey me and love one another. And then he tells them all these things about, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And then it kind of looks like the meal's wrapped up, and then Jesus kind of speaks again, and in John 15, he says this. So it's almost like, one more thing I've got to tell you. And then he goes on for like three chapters. But, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You see, before the disciples go out and do everything that he wants them to do, before we go out and do all that God has called us to do, Jesus wants to give us a powerful image. 
an image that is to stick with us and to feed us. It's the image of the vine. You see, all throughout Israelite history, they have been called the vine of God. Now, I don't know how often you go to vineyards, uh, but what the image that Jesus is painting here is a grapevine. So it kind of it's like this root stalk that kind of comes up, and then out of it flow these be- beautiful, luscious green um, roots and branches that come out, and then off the branches, beautiful, luscious grapes. And in Israelite culture, that was one of the main things that they produced, and one of the main things that they sold. In fact. In Exodus, God, or in Psalm 80, God says that the Israelites were like a vine that he took out of Egypt and planted in Israel. So the Israelite people are often referred to in the Old Testament as the vine of God, this vine that God had planted. Look at Isaiah chapter 1. Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it, and he hewed out a wine vat in it. And he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. In verse 7, For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. He looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed. For righteousness, but behold, an outcry. You see, the Lord takes Israel out of slavery in Egypt, plants them in Israel that they may be a light to the nations, that they may love God and love one another, that there may be justice and righteousness in the land. But Israel is unfruitful. Israel is a wild vine. It doesn't grow and produce healthy, beautiful, abundant fruit that it was designed to do. And so Jesus comes as God's only son, perfect and holy, and says, I am not just the vine, but the true vine. I'm the fulfillment of all that God predicted in the Old Testament. All that God wanted for Israel is now in me. I have been planted by the Lord, and I'm here to produce fruit for the Lord. I'm the true vine. I'm the true Israel. I have lived up to God's standards. So the vine equals Jesus, and the branches now, because Israel has disobeyed Jesus and disobeyed the Lord, the branches now are not the Israelites. It's anyone who is in Christ. If you put your faith in Christ, you have been grafted into the the vine tree of Israel now. And so we are the branches, which is what Jesus says in John, uh, in in verse 5. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. So he's painting this image. I'm the vine. You've got to kind of imagine Jesus as a vine. And then out of the vine grows these branches. And then off the branches is meant to grow beautiful fruit. And we do the fruit producing. We actually get to be the ones that kind of are the extension of where the fruit comes out. But there's a third element to the image as well. And that's that of the gardener. You see, I always skip over that little bit. I'm the true vine, and my father is the gardener. But actually, it's a really important element. Because the gardener has a twofold job. You see, it's not just Jesus and me, but there's a whole trinity involved in Christianity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We're connected to Jesus, the vine, through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And then God the Father, the gardener, comes along, and he inspects his vineyard. Just like he inspected Israel 
and found wild grapes, unfruitful grapes, a nation that was wicked and unjust and unrighteous. And now the, God, the Father is going to come through the church as the divine gardener, and he's going to be looking for fruitfulness in us, in, the, in, in anyone who claims to be a Christian. And it says here he has kind of two things that he does. He cuts off unfruitful branches and cultivates fruitful ones. So God comes in. You've got to imagine this vineyard, fruit, beautiful grapes, and he's seeing like this, this branch that's just producing nothing or you know, dead, you know, withered vine branches. And if you've ever seen a dead like grape vine, it's useful for nothing. The only thing it's useful for is burning. Um, as fuel for a fire. You can't use it for a deck. You can't build much out of it. You can't do anything with it. It's only useful for taking away. But then the Lord also does the second thing. You, you see there, he cultivates fruitful branches through quite a painful process. He prunes them all the way back. So Jesus kind of paints this big picture as a setup. He's saying, okay, here's what's going to happen. You're going to go into all the world and make disciples. But in order to do that, you need to be well, well, this is the reality. There's a vine, and I'm the vine. You've got to be in me to produce the fruit. My father's going to come along, and he's going to tend the garden, and he's going to look after and make sure it all happens so you don't need to stress. And then he gives the command. So that was the image he wants to produce, um, wants to show, and now the command, verse 4. Therefore, abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. See, this little section here is the central point in the whole text from verse 1 through to verse um, 17. And what Jesus is saying here is there's only one way you can be a fruitful branch. It's very simple. Abide in me. It's a very simple command. There's not too much to it. What does the verse mean? Abide in me. What does that word abide mean? It's not a word we use all the time. Like, hey, what did you do today? Just abiding, you know, just, I was in my abode. You might say that. Okay, so abode means home. So abide means to make your home in, to rest in, to be in this place. The NIV translated, remain in me. Basically, it just means be a branch attached to the vine. Don't go wander off. Don't go looking for, you know, religion elsewhere. Don't think, oh, maybe Islam's true, and oh, I'm just going to go follow Muhammad. Or maybe um, Hinduism's true. Or maybe it's just about me and fulfilling my own purpose. Or maybe there is no God at all. Any, any other path, Jesus is saying here, if you're a part of me, you will not produce fruit. And if you will not produce fruit, the gardener will come through, and he will take you and put you outside. So the command Jesus is giving is, abide in me, rest in me, remain put, and you'll be safe. You'll do well. It's just like um, if you've ever had kids with you in the city, stay with me. It's like, hold their hands, and, and we're going to have fun because we're in the city. We're in the city to have a good time, but stay with me, and you'll be safe, and we'll have a great time. If you wander off, you're going to get lost straight away. Um, you're going to go, who knows what's going on? Stay with me. That's what Jesus is saying to his disciples is, I'm about to leave you physically. I've been with you for three years. But through the Spirit, I want you to abide in me. Stay with me. Do not leave me, no matter what. So we've got this picture, vine, 
producing fruit with a garden attending it. We have a command, abide in me. But notice here, we also have a promise. And this is kind of where it gets a little bit more practical for us in that sense is that as we are trying to build this brand new church, we're in week four, by the way, if you're new and you didn't know. We're four weeks in, we're trying to serve the Lord by creating a new family here. But there's always this question of, will it work? (laughs) Are we wasting our time? How are we going to do it? Well, look at the promise in verse 5. I'm the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And then verse 8. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Here's the promise. If we abide in Jesus Christ, we will produce fruit. You can't not. It's just, that's how it works. And so in the Christian life, we can stress out, like, am I doing enough? Am I working hard enough? Is it going well? You know, is my parenting or my marriage or my work or my righteousness, my holiness, is it going to work? I don't know. Abide in me. You will produce fruit. Keep going. Don't give up. Don't always be inspecting the fruit. Oh, is that grape big enough? Or, you know, am I luxurious enough as a vine? Stop. Abide. And you will produce fruit. We don't have to be anxious. We don't have to be nervous. We don't have to fret. We don't have to bear all these burdens. Because the Lord has promised, if you want to produce fruit for the Lord, and you want to abide in Him, and you will. You will bear, and not just fruit, you will bear much fruit. And that's the power of the Christian life, is not like a mushroom that, you know, there's a bit of hot weather and a bit of rain and then suddenly there's mushrooms everywhere. And you're like, oh, wow, look at the mushrooms. And then you go back the next day and they're all dead. That's not how the Christian life works. It's slow obedience in the same direction for a long period of time and just pop, 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 pop. Little grapes are popping out everywhere in our life. It's a promise. But also, not only is it just that we will produce fruit, But look at verse 16. We didn't read it in our text, but I'll read it to you now. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask my Father in my name, he may give it to you. Not only does God promise that if we remain in him, we will produce much fruit, But he also promises that the much fruit we produce will abide. It will last. It will remain. And so we can have great confidence and hope as we go about our Christian life knowing this. If we remain in him, there will be fruit in our life. The fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. The fruits of obedience, of loving God and loving neighbor. The fruits of evangelizing and letting other people know about him. We will produce those fruits and those fruits will remain. They will not spoil. They will not be destroyed. They will not be taken away. Because the one who produces them secures them. Our vine 
makes it happen, and the gardener ensures that they last. So we can have great confidence and great hope. So what will the result be of this fruit production in our life? Are we just, so okay, so we, we've got all these commands from the Lord in our various things, like church planting, as well as righteous living, as well as parenting and marriage and friendship and obeying our own parents and all this, and we do all these things, and so how do we get the power to do it? Well, okay, we abide in the vine, okay, that's what we do, uh, and then we have the hope, okay, we will produce fruit, great, and then we have the great hope, yes, it will last, but what will be the impact on us? We'll look at verse 11. These things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy Maybe full. You see, we're all searching for comfort, happiness, peace, and joy. That's really, if it boils down to that, is the reason why we make every decision, because we wanted to do that. Even when we make hard decisions, we do it because that's what we most wanted to do in that moment of time. And Jesus says that if you follow me, you remain in me, you do what I command you, this is what will happen. Two things. My joy will be in you, and your joy will be full. It's incredible. It's incredible. It doesn't look like it in the Christian life. It doesn't always feel like, woo, I'm just this luxurious vine with grapes popping out and joy, smiling, happy grapes. That doesn't, like the Ribena grapes that always, you know, it doesn't always feel like that. But the promise from the Lord is this. You remain in him. And his joy will be in you, and it will be joy to the full. Jesus said in John 10, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. The psalmist David said in Psalm 16, 11, In your presence there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. We may be tempted as little vine branches to jump off the vine and Search and go for, you know, satisfaction somewhere else. We don't need to. The promise is here. We will have Jesus' joy in us and joy to the full. But Jesus also goes on to give a warning. So there's the image, the vine, the command, abide in him, the promise, you will produce fruit. But there's also a warning, and we can't skip over this. Let's look at verse 6 again. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. It's a sobering text. It's really expanding on what's said in verse 2. God the Father does this. Every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. What does he do? He takes it away, and eventually, through judgment... He burns it. What do we make of this text? What do we do with here? Here's what's happening. God has a plan for every single human being, and it's this, that we would live for His glory, loving Him and loving neighbor. And God, the gardener, is going to inspect all of humanity, and He's going to look for fruit, the fruit of a soul that loves Him and loves neighbor. The fruit of the soul that is abiding in Christ and resting in Christ and their joy is in Christ crucified. 
And any person who, like a wild branch, has jumped off the vine and tried to make it on their own through a different religion, a different system, or just through their own efforts, will not have the fruit that he's looking for. And he will take them, and they'll be judged. And because of their sin, and this it's really heavy, you get this image, they will be burned. That, that's this image of hell. That there's, there's nothing useful in that person. Their use for the Lord is for destruction. So, how does that work though? Because verse 2 says, every branch of me, in me that does not bear fruit. It kind of sounds like, oh, maybe you can be a Christian and lose your salvation. I don't think that's what Jesus is saying here. There's only so far that metaphors and images can go. Um, and I think what Jesus is basically saying here is he's actually referring to Judas. Because Judas was in Christ. He was in and around the disciples. But he left like a wild branch. And he went and tried to figure it out on his own. And as a result, he squandered his life. And although it looked like he was in, he wasn't truly in. And how could you tell? By the fruit of his life. And so what the reality is, is that we have a mixed congregation. There's people who are in the vine, and there's people who look like they might be in the vine, but they're not truly in. And so Jesus is warning the disciples. He's saying, make sure you are truly in. How do you know if you're in? Well, you're abiding in the vine. How do you know if you're abiding in the vine? You're producing fruit. So how do you tell? Look at the fruit of your life. Do you have joy in Christ? Are you producing the fruit of the Spirit? Are you productive for the Lord in His work? And if so, you have no need to worry, no need to fear. But there may be some in this room who are in and around Christianity. You're in and around Jesus. But are you really abiding in the vine? Are you really one with Jesus Christ? Could you say that his joy is in you and his joy to the full? Could you say that you live to bear fruit for him? And if not, Jesus is warning you this morning, saying that if you are in and around me but not in me, one day you will be cast away from me. You could say it like this. We, you are either a part of Christ or you will be a part of from Christ. Everyone is, you have to either be a part of Christ or you'll be a part from Christ. You see, a flower, when you cut it from its root and its stem, it looks pretty for days, sometimes even a week or so, but eventually it withers and dies. That's what we're like. In and around God, abiding in Him, we flourish. But take us out, and bit by bit, we will slowly die. Because apart from him, we can do nothing. So Jesus gives us this image, this incredible image of a vine, the gardener, and us, the branches. He gives us a command, abide in him, and you will produce much fruit. If you don't, you'll be cast out, and you will never experience the joy that Jesus has to offer. The point is not that he wants to burn branches. The point is he wants his joy to be in you. So abide in him and receive that joy. So what does it look like to be someone who abides in Christ? Well, um, Hudson Taylor was a missionary in China. One of the earliest and first, one, first guys to go there in the 18th century, oh, 19th century. 
And toward the end of his life, his son wrote this about him. You see, Hudson Taylor, he sacrificed an incredible amount and worked incredibly hard to preach the gospel to the native Chinese people in that time who did not know Christ. And his workload was immense. He's living without comfort. He was living, he actually started to dress like the Chinese. He was living in their way, in their people, in their culture. A man with many burdens and pressures, but his son wrote this about him. He was a man almost 60 years of age, bearing tremendous burdens, yet absolutely calm and untroubled. Oh, the pile of letters. You know, for us it would be email or WhatsApp. Oh, the WhatsApp. (laughs) Any one of which might contain news of death, of lack of funds, of riots or serious trouble. Yet, all were opened, read and answered with the same tranquility. Christ, his reason for peace, his power for calm. Dwelling in Christ, he drew upon his very being and resources. And this he did by an attitude of faith, as simple as it was continuous. Yet he was delightfully free and natural. I can find no words to describe it, save the scriptural expression, in God. He was in God all the time, and God in him. It was that true abiding of John 15. What does it look like to abide? It looks like someone who works incredibly hard in all spheres of life with joy, contentment, and peace. Rather than someone who works incredibly hard and is anxious, worried, frustrated, agitated, annoyed, just got to get it done... That's not abiding. The fruit of abiding is that you're actually free from the burden because you've realized this. You're just a branch. (laughs) You don't do the work. All the power comes from the vine. All the nutrients comes from the vine. All the ability comes from the vine. All you have to do is remain put and things happen. And the more we come to realize that and understand that and actually believe that, then we're free to be a vine, uh, to be the branch. Jesus said it like this in Matthew 11. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. That means like take my work upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's what it looks like to abide in Christ. Is to work hard. You're an ox with a yoke, plowing, working hard, sweating. But you're not agitated, annoyed, frustrated. You're doing it with joy. Because the yoke is easy and it fits and it works. And you're filled with the power of the Holy Spirit in your parenting, in your marriage, in your friendships, in you know, the hardest of times and the best of times. There's an abiding peace in you because he abides in you. So that was point one, abiding explained. That's what Jesus is talking about. But how do we become like Hudson Taylor? How do we get from our sorry selves to that position where we are experiencing that true abiding in Christ? Well, I want to give us, um, I think, five kind of practical things we can do um, from this passage, actually, to, that Jesus tells us to do that will help us to abide in Him. 
Um, and to be honest, this has been a struggle for me this week. I've been I don't know, anxious, nervous, even just about preaching this message and abiding, because this is one of my favorite passages. I'm like, I'm not going to do it justice. People aren't going to understand. I just, I really, how do I say it? Which point do I go first? And I kept on having to go, Lord, I abide in you. <laughs> Produce fruit in me. But it's a tension. It's a struggle. We can want it. But how do we actually make it happen? And it doesn't mean if you struggle that you're not abiding, that you're cast off, you're branch over there. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying once you recognize it, crawl back in closer to the vine again and experience the nutrients and the power. So how do we do this? Well, firstly, I'm going to make it's very complicated. Firstly, you must abide in Jesus. Okay, profound. You drove all the way here for that. But seriously, it's so easy to get distracted with a billion other things in life and to miss the main thing. That to experience the fruit of abiding, we must actually abide in Christ for ourselves. Not in Netflix, not in comfort eating, not in friendships or family or doing things for God. But ultimately, our abiding must be in Jesus himself. We don't abide in John Piper We don't abide in Paul Tripp, Christian authors. We don't abide in Hillsong worship. We don't abide in even our church community. We abide in Christ Jesus. And if we do, we will experience the fruit of that abiding. Brothers and sisters, are you abiding in Jesus? Do you have a deep and personal relationship with Him? Not with people that know him, not with people that write about him, not with people that sing about him, not with other people, you know, that talk about him. But do you, for yourself, know him? Well, another way of thinking about it is this. If Jesus wasn't omniscient, okay, imagine Jesus doesn't know everything that's going on in the world. He does, but imagine he doesn't. How much would he know of your life? How much do you let him in? How much do you pray to him? How much do you look to him for strength and comfort? If he didn't know everything that was going on and only knew what you told him, how much would he know about you? It's a good little test of how much you're abiding in him. How much do you lean on him when things go wrong? When you get that email, you get that text, you get that unexpected thing happen... Where are you going to? You know, if you're, you're searching, you're like, oh, great, okay, oh, Netflix. You know, I got it. I, I am abiding right now. No, no, no. Do you go to Him? Because in Him is the nutrients of life that will enable us to have that burden free living. We must abide in Jesus. That's His command. The promise is that you will have fullness of joy if you do. And anything, anything that's blocking you from that, even good things, why don't you set it aside for a time? Fast from it. Fast from food, fast from TV, fast from music, fast from whatever you need to, so that you hunger and thirst for the vine. Point number two. We abide in Jesus by having his word in us. Did you see the link? In verse 4, Jesus said, Abide in me and I in you. Verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. And then verse 7, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, 
Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Having Jesus abide in you is synonymous with having his words in you. Jesus and his words go together. Jesus is the word of God, reveals himself in his word, the scriptures. So one way in which we abide in Jesus is to have his words abide in us. So how exposed are you to scripture at this point this week? How saturated are you in the word of God? And not just the word of God broadly from Genesis to Revelation, but Jesus' very words. See, Jesus is speaking to the disciples. They heard him and spoke with him. And he says to them before he leaves, let my words, these words that you've heard me the past three weeks, years, abide in you. How well do you know your Savior? How well do you know the words that he spoke? The actions that he did? Let his word abide in you. John Piper says it like this, don't abide in him, but listen to him. Christ abiding in us is interchangeable with his words abiding in us because Christ never comes without his authoritative views on things. To have him abiding is to have all his views abiding in us. If he abides, his views abide. If he abides, his priorities abide. If he abides, his principles abide. If he abides, his promises abide. If he abides, his commandments abide. In short, If and when Christ abides in us, his words abide in us. So how do we grow to be filled with the words of Christ? Well, it it takes time. There's no other way. You have to carve out time to meditate on Scripture, to memorize Scripture, to study Scripture, to fill your mind with Scripture. And in so doing, his words will abide in you. And then you'll be drawn to love him more. And then you'll be drawn to rest in him. And then you will enjoy the fruit of abiding in him. So firstly, abide in Jesus. Secondly, abide in his word. Thirdly, abide in prayer. Verse 7 continues, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. There's this simplicity of the Christian life. We abide in Christ through word and through prayer. Because Christianity isn't a religion as such. It's not a ticker box on a census. It's life with Christ. It's relationship with the Godhead. So Jesus, it's most natural for Jesus to say, if you abide in me, abiding in me looks like knowing my words and praying to me. And so an indication of how closely you're abiding to Jesus is how often you're praying to him. How much time you spend in that holy communion, in that divine conversation with with the Lord God, the Father, Son, and Spirit. And the promise is, is that as you become more and more like Jesus, as he abides in you and you become more and more entangled in the vine and, and you become to look more and more like Jesus, your will will align with his will such that whatever you ask, he will say yes to. Because you begin to ask only things that he wants you to ask. Because you become to love the vine and you want the fruit of the vine to go out that the Father may be glorified. So your prayers stop being, in Jesus' name, a Ferrari. (laughs) And in Jesus' name, you know, your kingdom come. 
That's why when Jesus taught his disciples how to pray, he began like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You pray in that way and you seek his kingdom and he will say yes every time. That's his promise from his word. John 15, 16 says the same thing. So that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. There's a beautiful relational element here. We petition the Father by the blood of Jesus Christ. And the Father loves to answer those prayers with a yes. Psalm 37.4 says it like this. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. It's not, he will give you the desires of your heart no matter what you pray for. But as you delight yourself in the Lord, you will become more conformed to him so that your prayers will pray things that he loves to say yes to. That's what Jesus is saying in that verse. So we must abide in him. We abide through word. We abide through prayer. Fourthly, we abide by obeying his commands. We didn't read it, but I'll read it to you now. The rest of the little section here, verse 9 to 10. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. So it's sort of like the same thing. Abide in me, abide in my love. How do you abide in him? Well, you keep his commandments, just as I've kept my Father's commandments. So what are the commandments? Well, verse 12. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. You see, to truly abide in Christ, we do what he calls us to do. We do what he has called us to do. We can't say, oh, I love Jesus, but I'm just going to do whatever I like. (laughs) It doesn't work like that. The Christian life is, I love you, Lord. I will obey you. What do you want me to do? Oh, you want me to love one another as you have loved me? Okay. Oh, Lord, I'm going to need some help (laughs) because now I'm going to have to sacrifice my time and my money and my energy and all that I have in outpouring into other people. But that doesn't come from us. We don't have all that power. We're just a branch. So we have to go back to the Lord. In verse 12, uh, is it verse 12? Yeah, the rest of verse 12 says this. Now, verse 13, sorry. Greater love has no one than this that someone lay down his life for his friends. You see, we can love others because he first loved us. We're just like Israel, a fruitless vine, wild, unruly. Do things whatever we want, whenever we want. Reject the Lord. We're the ones that really, we should have been gathered up and thrown out. We should have experienced that judgment. But because Jesus wants to call us his friend, he came from heaven's throne, became the true vine, and died in our place for our sin so that he could gather us wild branches and graft us into himself so that we would then be this beautiful vine that produces fruit that glorifies the Father by loving others and laying down our life for them. That's how the Christian life works. It's not, I do all these things and be, do all this fruit on my own and hopefully in the end, God will look at me and go, that was good enough. 
come on in, come to the party. It doesn't work like that. We're out here in sin. He grabs us, pulls us in, puts us into himself, and then we start to produce the fruit that glorifies him. So abiding in Christ, you cannot do it without obedience to him. But your obedience to him doesn't get you in. So that's kind of the the tension of the Christian life. And finally, God helps us to abide in Jesus, and this is not so fun, by pruning us. So if you go back to the verse 2, it says, My Father, anyone that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. See, the Lord in each one of our lives, every single one of us in this room, the Lord wants to produce much fruit in your life. That's his plan. That's why he chose you out of your sin and brought you into him, so that you would produce much fruit. But in order to do that, the gardener, the father comes along and starts to lop away at things in your branch life. And you're like, whoa, 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 I was, I was liking that. That was a nice part of the branch. You're like, no, and he takes it away. He disciplines us. And the hardest moments of our lives are often the moments of most growth. And we can think, look, what are you doing? Why are you taking this away? Why are you making this so difficult? Why is this so painful? Where are you? But those times are not evidence of God distancing himself from you. They're times where the Lord is disciplining you and cultivating you so that he can bear more fruit out of you. One of the pastors at our other church in Morunga Patrick Chavez says this. He's a bit of a sicko, but he says, I love seeing when people are in intense suffering. Like, what is wrong with you? If you know Patrick, it makes more sense. But he says, I love seeing that because I cannot wait to see what God will do through that. Because he looks at people suffering and doesn't, he, he, he weeps with them, trust me. But he knows from the scriptures that in the times of discipline and pruning, God is going to produce something incredible. So he cannot wait to see the fruit that will come out of the suffering. And that's another way in which the Lord helps us to abide. He prunes out things that we didn't even think we didn't need so that we can bear more fruit. Hebrews 12, 11. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. So we have this beautiful image to wrap up our series. We abide, we remain, we make our dwelling in the one who was crucified in our place for our sin. And as we do that, if we abide in him, we will produce much fruit. And it will be fruit that will last. And the result will be joy. And not just any old joy, the joy of Jesus himself and joy to the full. So brothers and sisters, abide in him. Never leave him. Search nowhere else for true satisfaction and joy than in him. And our Lord Jesus gave one other way in which we can experience that true abiding. And that's through the Lord's Supper. He gave a meal just prior to saying this He took bread and broke it and he took wine and gave it to the disciples to drink it, to symbolize what it truly means to abide in him. And that's what we're going to do now. So if the um, stewards could hand out the elements, we're going to take um, the Lord's Supper as an expression of what it means to truly abide in him. Um, So we're going to hand that out. And as you take it, 
Um, I'm just going to give you a little bit of time to just reflect on what was said in the message. Reflect on how's your abiding? Is there anything blocking you? Is there anything taking you away from Christ? And if you're not yet a Christian, you're not abiding in Jesus, just let the elements pass by. Please don't take them. Um, Because if you take them, you're kind of saying, everything I believe about Jesus is true. And if you don't believe that, then don't do it because you don't believe it. Um, And so just watch us take it and watch a whole bunch of people in this room declare that they believe that Jesus really came and died for their sins um, in their place and that he shed his blood for them. So take it, think. We're just going to take a little bit of time to meditate. How am I going abiding? And just spend some time talking to the Lord. I'll stop talking now. (laughs) The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he'd given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you drink this, eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. This symbolizes that we are truly in Christ. And as we eat it, it symbolizes that he is truly in us. An incredible truth, an incredible privilege that we have through the Spirit. And we get to do it together. So we're going to stand and we're going to take the Lord's Supper together as one group. And um, I'll direct us to take it in order. If you've already eaten it, I forgive you. Um, I didn't give you the instructions. Sorry, this is our first time doing it. This is the body of the Lord Jesus Christ broken for you. Take and eat this in remembrance of him. The blood of the Lord Jesus Christ shed for us. Drink this, ingest this in remembrance of him and know that he abides in you. Would you pray with me? Almighty God, our heavenly Father, hallowed be your name. May your kingdom come and may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, we thank you that we got to eat of your son and drink of your son and that he dwells and abides in us. That's a privilege too great for words. Lord, would you help us through your spirit to abide in him, to remain in him all the days of our life, no matter what circumstance changes, no matter what trial comes. May we unchangingly abide in him. And Lord, through this small little church, may much fruit be born and may it be fruit that lasts. And Lord, would you fill us with your joy, the joy of your son. And may our joy be full. In Jesus' name, amen.